welcome to A Moment of Bach, where we take our favorite moments from the composer's vast musical output, just a minute's worth, or even a few seconds, and show you why we think they are remarkable. We are your hosts, Christian and Alex Giebert. Today's moment is the Aus Liebe aria from the St. Matthew Passion. For love, my Savior now is dying. Of sin and guilt, he knoweth not. So, eternal desolation and the sinner's righteous doom shall not rest upon my spirit. Last week, Christian, we mentioned that on a moment of Bach, we like to follow the church calendar, and we're in Lent now. And some of my favorite stuff comes from Lent hymns and music that works well in Lent. Here we have the St. Matthew Passion, which is a deep well that we've drawn from several times before. One of Bach's most enduring works, if not the most highly regarded work of his entire output. And zeroing in on one of my favorite moments from the entire thing. This soprano aria comes at a central moment of the work. Context is always really important here. So in the context of Matthew's account of Jesus's passion, Pilate is asking the people what he should do with Jesus, who's been arrested. And all the people said to him, let him be crucified. Then Pilate said, why, what evil has he done? But they cried out all the more saying, let him be crucified. And this is where the artistry comes in. Instead of just setting that text, Bach worked with a poet to comment on these various parts of the story to help put Jesus' entire life in context and his mission to absolve humanity of their sin and how he had to die a painful death to do so. So instead of just the crowd shouting, let him be crucified, then Pilate saying, why, what's he done? Then the crowd saying, let him be crucified again. We get a lot more than just that. After that first cry for Christ's crucifixion, we hear the choir express in a beautiful chorale based on the tune, O oh, Dearest Jesus, or A Holy Jesus, Herzliebster Jesu. We hear them sing a later verse of that hymn. 
talking about how strange the sentence is and what wondrous love and the shepherd dying for his flock's protection. It says the master pays the debts his servants owe him and they betray him. That's when Pilate says, why, what evil has he done? And instead of jumping right to the response by the angry mob, we get a moment of reflection by the soprano singer. Bach would do this a lot. He would give the soloist an aria to reflect. Here we have a little arioso before the aria. It's almost like a little intro to the aria, which contains the moment that I love. But this arioso, the text here is, to us he hath done all things well. The blind man sight from him received. The lame man leaped and walked. He told us of his father's word. He sent the devils forth. The mourners he hath comforted and sinners too he hath received. Besides this, Jesus has not done anything. Pilate asks, what evil has he done? The answer is none. And look at all this other wonderful stuff he's done. And so at that point we hear the aria. Aus Liebe, for love my savior is dying. And then like horrible, evil bookends on either side of this beautiful aria. We have the let him be crucified part again from the choir, and this time even more intense as we hear the same music, that same dissonant crucifixion music, but this time up a key with even more sharps in the key signature with even more fury. There's so much to get into about the artistry of this, but first let me just talk a little bit about the instrumentation, which I think is one of the most remarkable things about this aria, Aus Liebe. You have a soprano soloist, that's not that unusual, but the instruments that are used here, no strings and no bass instruments at all, and no continuo, which means no organ, harpsichord, anything like that. None of that is here. That's pretty unusual. Instead, we have a very stark sound coming from a solo flute with two oboes underneath. These are oboes da caccia. We talked about this instrument on episode 11 back in the first season in the Bleib by Uns Cantata. It's got kind of a curved bell, got a horn-like shape. The instrument is very nasal and a little off-putting almost, but in a, just in an unusual way. It's similar to the oboe de more that we talked about in the last episode. And these oboes, they just... They have this kind of awkward halting motion happening in what's called staccato, which is short notes. With this lovely flute line above it. Sometimes the instrumental introduction, that instrumental line will happen and then the singer will come in and sing a similar thing. 
But here, Bach does a different thing. When the singer comes in, instead of singing that florid melody, she simply stays on a high note on the word love. It is impossible for me to choose a favorite moment from this aria. It's, it's just one of my favorite pieces and one of my favorite recordings of this work. Just absolutely stunning for me, but one of my favorite moments is what you just heard, which is our soloist, Chit de Geiter. As Christian mentioned back on episode 10 of our first season, on the Vivol recitative, she has a masterful control over her, over her voice, and we get to hear it on that opening note. The way these phrases end on these suspensions gives the music a lot of drama. That one in particular was really powerful to me on the word sterben, which means to die. We hear kind of an unusual use of this double chromatic neighbor thing. And that's when you have a note, which is where you're, the note that you're targeting, which is the note you're targeting. And you approach it not just from the top and not just from the bottom, but you wiggle around it with both. And both of them are a half step apart, which is key to the sort of and the unusual and spiky sound you get. It almost goes without saying now that Bach, of course, used a lot of text painting to set the text, because we always talk about how he does that. And this is just a prime example of that. Get the word death or the word die. You're going to have a little sting to it, right? In fact, there's a biblical truth which Bach would have been very aware of, and which he probably has set before to music, which is that death has no sting anymore, right? Where, O death, is thy sting, right? It's, mm. it's from the Bible, uh, talking about Jesus' victory conquering death. But it sure would have a sting right now in the story, wouldn't it? This part of the story, before that has happened, before Jesus' sacrifice, but, but as he is going to experience all this pain, has already experienced so much pain and will experience so much more. The setting of the two words, love and death, is essentially on the same note. But Bach sets the first one with a beautiful, soft, long, held-out note. And then death with, as you said, Alex, a dissonant set of non-harmonic tones that don't get there right away. Right. The text says he knows nothing of sin. Von einer Sünde weiß er nichts. Nichts. Nothing. Nothing, right? Von einer 
Bach likes to repeat the word nichts. Uh, he did that in Jesu Meine Freude, which we talked about way back in episode 7 of last year. And when he does that, he likes to go a little higher on the second one, or sometimes a little softer, or something different on the second one. It's saying like Jesus knows nothing of sin, nothing. The word repetition of the poetry is so nice. It's for love, for love my savior is now dying. Yeah, you know, something we've kind of breezed across and not talked a lot about, although you did mention it last week, Christian, just a bit, is that the repetition of the text in all these cantatas and then in these passions too, and in the mass in B minor also and all these other things is it's idiomatic of the time, but it's also like really off-putting, I think, sometimes to people who don't listen to classical music, because you can look at this short bit of text, for love my Savior now is dying, of sin and guilt he knoweth not, right? That's that's already half of it done. There's only a little bit more. And you could look at that and think, this, this song is going to be short, but it's not all that short. There's so much repetition, and the repetition is not only artful and put in places that makes sense for the text, but it also has to do with the format of this music, right? You need this music, you need this to be a complete little three to five minute or whatever it is, or sometimes more, movement. It needs to, it needs to follow the structure. Sometimes Bach subverts that to great effect, but other times it needs to, it needs to really make a statement, right? He needs to spend time on it, and he has these musical themes that he needs to be developing. That's the aria is for. Yeah. The the recitative beforehand is for getting out the exposition. Exactly. And the aria is for dwelling on a certain emotion. And that's, I think my like, my two cents about going to a concert and hearing a cantata or a passion or something is that it's always good to know what to expect. It's kind of off-putting as a listener if you look at a line of text and think, oh, they're going to sing just one line? It's going to take them 30 seconds. Yeah. But really what it is is that in the Bach cantatas and Passion, it's just the opposite. If you see a big block of text and the heading is like recitative or arioso, then it's going to go by quickly. And then if you see a short poetic couple of lines that's marked aria, he's going to take his time with that. He's going to set that to three to six minutes worth of repetition and really drilling home a certain affect or emotion. And if something's like for choir, it, sometimes it's the same. A bunch of text to get through is fast. Sometimes the chorus spends a lot of time on one thought. It's not always consistent. You don't always know what to expect, but those those tenets are pretty universal with cantata stuff, recitative, aria. Same same goes for opera. This this yeah. is lifted from opera. This is an opera structure. Right, Italian opera specifically of the time. Now I'd like to talk a little bit about these oboes and their unusual role. Since we don't have a bass instrument, the oboes kind of function as that, but they don't, it's clear that he doesn't have them really function as that in, in the true sense. And we know that because you could tell that these chords don't really have roots, a lot of them, and it doesn't, bother, it doesn't seem to bother him at all. It's almost as if he wrote a bass line for this and just scrapped it because he realized it didn't mm. need it. I wonder if that happened. Probably not, honestly. I think he had I always... So. It seems like, you know, he definitely intended this from the beginning yeah, to be like this. It's supposed to feel stranded 
Yeah, without without firm foundation. Yeah, and the staccato helps, right? With yeah. with that. That's Which, by the way, I'm looking at the manuscript, and it and Bach himself wrote staccato for the oboes. Yeah. So that's that's legitimate. Right, and every once in a while the oboes give us a little bit of mooring on these longer notes that have little passing tones, but then they go right back to the staccato. So something like this. Yeah, and then sometimes these like these long held notes, but then they quickly go back to something else. These very dissonant sounds. Ooh, play, so, play that one again. Those Alex, are tritones. That, yeah, those are two dissonant intervals in a row. Those, uh, those parallel tritones. That's, um, that's jazz harmony right there. You know. Yeah, that is. It is. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but as in context, you know, we hear that lovely flute line over it. It softens it a little, but it still sounds pretty. It still sounds pretty pained. Yeah, it's striking in this context. It, yeah. I'm saying it's jazz harmony, but that's not true. In jazz, that would be nothing. That's that would ju- jazz. That would just be five ordinary seconds of music. Yeah. But that harmony in Baroque music is, like you said, pained yeah. or suffering. moments of like teetering on the edge basically nothing really ever feels like it's locked down with with no bass to give us any foundation and some of those lowest oboe dicaccia notes i love that the quality of character the character of those notes they're so they're so nasally and so weird especially this one this one part that comes in a little later it sounds like this Listen to that nasally quality of that low note. In this moment, which, oh man, it's almost my favorite moment. <laughs> I just, I can't pick. There's too many. This is uh, the second to last time we hear the word sterben. And we hear the end of that word coming up here at this cadence. And listen to how these oboes just go down and down to this really low note. Remember the text here is, For love of me, my Savior is dying. And now this time we're going to play that again, but listen to the soprano singer. Listen to what happens with this note as it holds on the end of the phrase. 
that just destroys me. I mean, the way the way it pulls up at the end there, just with this almost almost hopeful maybe, but it's also a pained sound. Like it's not even possible to put this into words, really. You know, we're doing a podcast on Bach right now, <laughs> but I picked. So we got to talk about it, right? <laughs> but but I picked, I picked this thing that's so, so emotionally just raw. It's hard to even like put into words how how powerful it is for me. Here's the last little sung line before the instrumental ending. Listen to that last nichts there. And then the instrumental ending it's that same material from the beginning. This time our flautist has decided to ornament a little bit of it, making it sound a little bit different on some of these flowing lines. And here comes my absolute favorite moment. It happens in the intro and the ending. Here it comes. That, that note right there. You know, Christian, I thought about this when you came to me with the idea of this podcast. I don't think I've ever told you this. There is a West Wing episode that has a great moment in it. The character is listening. I think it's Josh, the character Josh. I think, he, uh, and so he's Ave listening Maria, to Ave Maria, the Schubert, Schubert Ave yeah, Maria, and he t- and he's like listening to it, and he goes, "Wait for it, wait for it," and it's like a moment that he loves, and it happens, and then he just he's like, "That was it," you know. There's like mm-hmm. it and. You know, me listening to it, I listened to that in that episode, and I thought to myself, that's interesting. I would have picked a different movement, or a moment, a different moment from a little earlier, right? Mm-hmm. Or whatever it was. But because that moment meant so much to that character, right? It was a nice little, it was a nice little, like, uh, impact that it had in the episode. Yep. And it made me think of that when you came to me with the idea of this podcast. And so what I just showed you, that, I mean, there's so many great moments in this aria. It's weird that this one little note is my favorite, but that's it. And let me play that for you, and I'll tell you exactly what I mean. We get this flute line that that comes up. Then it sadly starts falling down. Then this note, interesting note. Here it comes, right here, that. Some more thorns there. There's our dissonant tritones on the oboes. Coming into the ending, So that note that I love so much, right there, first of all it happens before the beat, and then the beat falls there, 
and it's a C sharp. We are in we are in A minor, and what happens there, music theory wise, is that we get a little glimpse of a major chord. It's almost like this little ray of hope, or a little a little sunshine poking through the clouds of that gloomy day, maybe, and a sense of a sense of brightness and light. And it's like if you heard it, like if a bass instrument came in there. Can you imagine, like? Like, all of a sudden we would feel a lot more joy in that moment and kind of a sense of uh, that this terrible thing that Jesus might have to go through, maybe that it won't have to happen, right? Like, kind of like what he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. He knew he had to do this, but he still prayed to his father, if there's any way I don't have to go through this terrible thing, then take it away from me. Right? He says that, but then, you know what happens after that? happens after that is that he still does have to go through with it. That ray of hope disappears. It's gone. It's replaced by darkness. And that is why that's my favorite moment. And now, here's the introduction, which includes Alex's favorite moment. If this introduction to a musical moment has inspired you to hear the rest of this piece, please see the link in the episode description to see the performance of the St. Matthew Passion by the Netherlands Bach Society. To hear our new episodes as we release them, find us on your podcast app and hit subscribe. Okay, Christian, next week will be our third episode in the season of Lent. What moment are we going to be talking about then? I'm going to present two small moments from the St. Matthew Passion that were suggested by a listener. The two moments are key moments from the Passion right around the time of where this aria is sung. One of them is the Barabbas cry, and the other is the surely this was the Son of God moment. Until next time, enjoy those moments.